Well, good morning again. It is good to be here. And I again just want to welcome any guests that are with us at Fellowship. We're glad that you're here. We often pray for those that God would bring. And so I hope and pray that you've been just warmly welcomed. And we just want you to know that we're glad that you're here. We're uh, moving now in the time of our worship into the time of preaching and teaching the word of God, which is, a, which is a big part of what we do when we gather each week as a church. And we are working through a New Testament book, uh, the book of Acts, and we've been working through that for some time. And we're just continuing through uh, this book. And today, as we continue and just follow along as we've uh, been going, Uh, We're going to, again, see a theme of unity, which really we've been noticing often. Uh, Really, you can can really say that a lot of the book of Acts is is pointing to the unity of the church, but we've been seeing this uh, really coming out, chapters 13, 14, and 15, just the unity of the church, and again, a common theme in this book, and again, really in much of the New Testament letters. Now, as you look at this uh, sermon title, you might wonder, how do you get to unity through contradiction? And, and what does that even mean? Well, l- let me explain it this way. Have you, uh, have you ever been faced with a, a, a difficult decision, a decision that, that not only affected you, but the decision that you were going to make is going to affect other people, and you actually felt like you knew what to do. You, you felt like you had the information, you, you've thought it through, and you, and you had peace about it. it. Difficult, but you had peace about it. But you also knew something else. You also knew that the decision you were going to make was not going to be fully understood by others. And potentially, you would receive criticism for it. And on top of that, they may even see the decision that you're making as inconsistent with your own convictions that you've been talking about, as a contradiction even to those convictions. It's difficult if you're, if you're faced with that. How do you make the right decision? You know, how do you do the right thing in that situation when you know that it can be interpreted as almost hypocritical? And then on top of that, how do you maintain unity? That would be difficult to do. How do you maintain unity with a situation like that? Well, it's just, it's interesting because in our text today, Paul is faced with a decision just like this. And the way that Luke writes it is he seems to make it without too much concern for how others will perceive it. And it seems that Paul is able to maintain unity through what is perceived as contradiction. So we're going to see what that looks like. And I'm going to ask God to go before us as we open up the word. So would you pray with me? Lord, what, what we'd like to do right now is submit ourselves to the fact that without the, the presence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit to illuminate truth, we are unable to understand things. The things of the, of the spirit are understood by, by the spirit. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every person that is here who has come to hear from you. And to do that, Lord, they will need ears to hear, eyes open, hearts open. 
And I pray that you would do that work. Holy Spirit of God, that you can only do. And that you would continue to lead and guide us as we submit to your truth, the authority of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Acts chapter 16. Last week, uh, Pastor Stephen finished up chapter 15 and did a very good job of taking a look at that disagreement between uh, Paul and Barnabas, the sharp dispute. And as we pick up in chapter 16, we're going to see what happens now after this disagreement. And so I want to just kind of set that up just to begin that after Paul and Barnabas have this disagreement, Luke tells us that Paul and Silas travel through Syria and Cilicia. He tells us that Barnabas and Mark, they sail over to Cyprus. That's where they go. But again, both groups are strengthening the churches. And again, you heard this last week. And just a reminder of kind of what's going on. After this disagreement, they go their separate ways, but both are seeking to strengthen the churches. Now I want to make note of Paul's travel route, which is actually an important point to make here as we look at chapter 16. We need to take a look at that and at least notice it and understand what it means because Luke is telling us about it. And, And in today's world, of travel, it's very different than it would be then, right? I mean, we use, we use travel apps all the time, right? We put in the address and our phone tells us where to go. And it's probably become a little bit of a dangerous thing because many of us don't have any idea where we are, where we're going. We just know this is where the phone told us to go. So we go. Well, Not that long ago, we used to use paper maps. (laughs) And um, we used to stop to ask for directions. Strangers, like you'd stop and you'd ask them and they'd lean in. This used to be common. I mean, I remember even hearing, yeah, when we get there, we'll stop and ask somebody where to go. And some of you now are looking at me like, what is he talking about? So I want to get a sense of our congregation. If you have never driven yourself somewhere with a paper map, like on the side there in the, in the passenger side, or maybe your, your, you know, your spouse is your, is your navigator and you've never really just done that and you're willing to raise your hand, let's get a sense of, you know, how many in this room. So uh, there's actually a lot less than I, than I thought. Never used a paper map to get yourself somewhere. Well, let me just tell you, you've missed a lot of fun. (laughs) As that picture shows you, that's what happens sometimes using a paper map. And someone is navigating and you say, how did we get here? You told me it was this exit. Well, Paul and Silas did not have an app to get them where they were going. And Luke, again, is very clear about how they go. And in chapter 15, verse 41, he says, he went through Syria and Cilicia. And then in chapter 16, verse 1, he tells us Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. And and so as we back up and we think about the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas entered that Asia Minor area 
through Cyprus. And I have this map up and hopefully it'll be helpful for you to at least see the regions. They entered Asia Minor through Cyprus. And that's where Barnabas and Mark went after this disagreement. So Paul and Silas aren't going to go there. They're traveling a different way. And they go through Syria and Cilicia, which you can kind of see is right up there. Uh, and that's the, that's the route that they're going. They're entering the Galatia region from the opposite direction than they did the last time. And Syria is, around, uh, is the region around Antioch. And the neighboring region of Cilicia is where Tarsus was, which was Paul's hometown. And so Paul and, and Silas now travel uh, this, this, this long journey through the rugged Taurus Mountains, which is uh, not you know, easy to travel through. They would go through the Cilician Gates into uh, Cilicia, and now they're, you know, they're north of, of Tarsus there. And then they come to Derby, which they would arrive at first, and then they would end up at Lystra. Now, if you remember, we studied what happened in Lystra. Lystra is where Paul healed the lame man. And it's where they were proclaiming him to be Zeus and Hermes. And they were run out of that city, if you remember. And Paul is stoned and he's left for dead. You know, some really good times for Paul and Barnabas, right? As they're thinking back about this, you could imagine Paul telling Silas as they're entering the city, Hey, last time I was here, did I tell you what happened? And Silas saying, what are we doing here? Can we go somewhere else? But there is purpose in going this way. That's the whole point of what I'm trying to make. There's purpose in this route and in going to this particular city. And Luke tells us in verse one, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So who is Timothy? Let me, let me answer that question uh, based on not just what we have here in the book of Acts, but what we also know about him in, uh, from scripture. Timothy, as Luke tells us, is the son of a Jewish woman. Uh, we know her name, it's Eunice. And we know that because Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. In your Bible is 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Those aren't letters written by Timothy. Those are letters written by Paul to Timothy. And, um, and so we know that. And so she was a believer in Jesus. And Paul's letter to Timothy also tells us that Timothy's grandmother, Lois, uh, is, is also a believer. And we know that from also Paul's letter. And it's likely that these two women became believers in Jesus when Paul and Barnabas visited Lystra on their first journey when they were sharing the gospel there. That first journey would have been around AD 48 and then this trip would have been probably about two years or so later. So it's been about two years or so before he's back. Timothy is then, uh, we're told that he is the son of a Greek man. No name is given. He's, what we do know, or at least think and understand based on how Luke wrote this and how the tense is written in the Greek is that he's probably not alive at this time, his father. Timothy is half Jewish and half Greek. That is very important for you to know and understand in this text and even in further 
texts as we continue to go and and understand what the writers of the Bible are telling us. We also know that he's young, probably his late teens or early, uh, early 20s. So he's a young guy. We also know that he's well spoken of by the brothers. This is an important point. He's well spoken of by the church. He's well spoken of by the church in Lystra, by the body in Lystra. And he's, and he's well spoken of not just there, but also by the body in Iconium. So, so somehow his, he's, he's interacted or these believers have interacted to the point that Timothy is known and, and considered a spiritually mature young man. A spiritually mature young man. And I just want to say how important that is to take note of and how important that is for young men in their late teens and early 20s and mid-20s to understand that you can be spiritually mature. This, this idea that the culture has that, well, you know, he's only, you know, he's only 24, he'll, he'll, he'll grow out of it. No, you, you can be spiritually mature as a teenager, late teens and early 20s, and that is not something that we should think of as a surprise, but we should probably, as a church, be more encouraging of that and even expectant of it. Let me encourage you as a young man to be thinking that way. I want to be, a, I want to be known as a spiritually mature young man. We also know that Timothy is considered a beloved child to Paul. He refers to him as that in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. And, and so Paul is seeing him as uh, someone that he's going to mentor and pour himself into, but also sees himself, I think, a result of his own uh, spreading of the gospel. Because probably through the spread of the gospel, uh, Timothy's mom and grandmother uh, gave their lives to Christ. And it was probably through them that Timothy also did the same. So then we have, so we have that, we have that travel route. We understand that Timothy's a big part of this, which Luke is telling us about. Then we see that Paul circumcises Timothy in preparation for the missionary journey. Verse three, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew something that his father was a Greek. Now, I would say that this is the most important verse for you to understand in these first uh, few verses that we're going to be looking at today. Because if you misunderstand this, if you don't understand the significance of why Luke is telling us this, you'll misunderstand, I think, most of the whole journey that they go on. It just won't make sense to what's going on here. Paul wants to take Timothy on the trip. This explains his travel route by going the way that he did, as I mentioned. He can get Timothy now at the beginning of the trip before he makes his way all the way over through those other places that he's going into Macedonia and then eventually into Athens and Corinth and all those other places. He's got Timothy with him. But did you notice the circumcision part of that verse? It's an important part. Didn't the Jerusalem council just decide that Gentiles did not need to be circumcised. 
Wasn't that the reason for the council in the first place? Do we need to circumcise Gentiles who come to faith in Christ? Do they need to follow the Jewish law? And the answer was no, clearly. We got that in chapter 15. So let's back up for a minute, just understanding where we are here. After this council, after the decision, after all of the travel, think about it. There's a group that goes from Antioch to Jerusalem. They have a council in Jerusalem. They have a talk about it. Then there's a group that goes back down from Jerusalem to Antioch and they share the news and their celebration in the church in Antioch of the fact that they don't have to follow, uh, you know, this, uh, the, 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 the Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. They find all of this out. And one of the first things that Paul does is he goes to Lystra, he finds Timothy, and he circumcises him. It, it just, it, it, it is, it kind of begs the question, what is happening here? Why would Paul do this? And, and like I said when I started, it could look like a contradiction. It could appear that way. It could appear as an inconsistency. And the question is, is it a contradiction? Is it? And the answer is no. And I hope to make that very clear today. So let's take some time to answer the question of why Paul circumcises Timothy here so that you understand it and will help you understand the rest of not just this chapter, but the trip. Again, and, and even the, the, the New Testament letters that Paul wrote to some of the places that were, you saw on that map. Let me, let me start by trying to explain first what this was not. So this was, here, here are some reasons that you should not uh, believe to be true that will hopefully clarify and help us see what, it, what the real reasons are. So these are not the reasons. The first one, to prove to believing Jews that Timothy was truly saved. That's... That's not why Paul did this. He's not circumcising Timothy to prove to a group of believing Jews, hey, I just want you guys to know that Timothy really is saved. See, he was circumcised. Not, not the reason. Second, to contradict or oppose the Jerusalem council. Paul is not doing something to disagree with the council. Now the churches in that area or the people or the believers in that area who are finding out about it could easily be talking about it in that way. And they could say, did you hear that Paul circumcised Timothy? I, I guess the ruling council, the, the decision doesn't really matter after all. I mean, this is Paul, but that's not what's going on. But it could be seen that way. It could be perceived that way. The third reason that is not the reason is to please the Jews who wanted Gentiles circumcised. That group that just said, there's a group of Jews who said Gentiles need to be circumcised even after they place faith in Christ. Paul is not appeasing a certain group of people. He's not an appeaser. He's not, he's not someone who leads that way. He's, he's not appeasing a group of people. It's not the reason, although it looks like it could be. It, it really does. It looks like this is exactly what Paul is doing, but he's not. So now I want to look at two actual reasons that will then 
distinguish themselves from what we just went over. First one is this. The reason, or part of the reason, is to remove an obstacle of gospel witness to unbelieving Jews. To remove an obstacle of gospel witness to unbelieving Jews. So there's some differences here. Remember that Luke tells us in verse 3. What does he say? They all knew Timothy's father was Greek. It's interesting that Luke writes it that way. He doesn't say they all knew that Timothy's mother was Jewish. That's true too. But he doesn't say that. He says they knew that his father was Greek. In other words, he's pointing out the Greek side. And what he's saying is that Timothy already did not have full Jewish credentials. He didn't have that because his, his father was Greek. And that's what he's pointing out. So not being circumcised on top of that would make gospel witness to the unbelieving Jews even more difficult. And so instead of creating an obstacle that gets in the way of a gospel witness, Paul was looking to remove a significant obstacle. So this is not about pleasing the believing Jews. There There weren't Jews in the church that were saying, Paul, you better do this, and that's why he's doing it. He's looking outside the church to the unbelieving Jews, knowing that Timothy is going to be a missionary and and, and a pastor and and a proclaimer of the gospel. And he's like, I think this is going to be a way for you to remove an obstacle to the gospel. It was allowing Timothy the best opportunity for gospel witness to unbelieving Jews. That's one. Second is to give full access of gospel witness to all things Jewish. To give full access of gospel witness to all things Jewish. So through circumcision, Timothy then would have access to all things Jewish. We know Paul's pattern. We, we studied it. He goes into a town. He goes to the synagogue. Especially if there are a lot of Jewish uh, people living there. He would go there and he'd preach the gospel. It's going to allow Timothy to be, have full access to synagogues and meals and festivals and celebrations and holy days. And especially with Jewish leaders who would discount him right off the bat. Wouldn't listen to a word he would say. And they would still probably have a hard time with the fact that he had a Greek father, but not being circumcised would be even more problematic. So this one action here opened up numerous opportunities for gospel witness to the Jewish people anywhere then that Timothy went. So those are two reasons now for you to to understand. Now, what about the perception? What about appearance? How did this decision look? Because it had the appearance of contradiction. How so? Well, one is it appeared, as I mentioned earlier, to be hypocritical leadership on the part of Paul. It it appeared that way. It, It seems like there are different rules for Paul than there are for everyone else, right? There's a decision of the council, 
that you don't have to be circumcised. And one of the first things he does on the first trip he goes on after leaving Antioch is he circumcises someone who's half Jewish and half Greek. People may think this way. They may even feel this way about Paul. It may seem that way, but they're wrong. There's nothing hypocritical here about what Paul is doing. Second, it appeared to be a decision that disregarded the ruling of the council, as I mentioned earlier. So these are the appearances that are out there. It looks like Paul is ignoring the ruling. Gentiles do not need to be circumcised or follow follow Jewish law. That was the ruling of the council. It's a gospel of grace, not of works. But again, Paul is not circumcising Timothy to save him. He's not completing his salvation. He's not saying, Timothy, you're almost saved. One more thing. We need to understand this or we will, we will misunderstand a, a narrative text that will then make our gospel witness problematic because now we're putting obstacles in front of people in their understanding of the gospel. He is circumcising him to expand his gospel witness. This is a matter of increasing gospel witness, not adding works to the gospel. But I want you to see how fine the line is. Right? Where it's difficult. Where's that line getting drawn? And, 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 and how, how do we know what to do? This, this is why we need wisdom and discernment. I was thinking about if there was social media in Paul's day, you know, what would be posted about Paul's decision in today's world, the way things happen today, Right? And I saw, so I came up with a couple. Pushy Paul follows his own rules on circumcision. You know, somebody posts that. Somebody else shares it, a bunch of likes. What happened? Oh, you didn't hear? Paul circumcised Timothy right after the Jewish council. Oh, I can't believe that. What a hypocrite. Right? And then bam, bam, likes and hearts. And he didn't do anything wrong. Another one would have said missionary with criminal record, disregards ruling of the church leaders. Oh yeah, I love that one, right? Because we're, we're resisting leadership and, 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 and not wanting to, you know, uh, make sure that that stuff is, is being made known. We're, we're, we're making it clear that he has a criminal record. You know, he's getting in trouble everywhere he goes. They probably would have said Christian in our world today because to make sure that that gets the negative connotation... This is how people could have reacted. And and the point that I'm making is how important discernment and wisdom is today. How important this is. Every headline, every social media post, even ones posted by professing Christians need to be filtered through the truth of scripture. There's so much assuming that it's true. Just assuming it's true. And when you look at the biblical text and you understand what the Bible teaches about the gospel, about theology, about doctrine, so many of these things that are out there aren't true. 
that they're getting passed, shared, liked, hearted. I would, I would say that I think in our post-truth world, you probably need to assume that it's partially true and then discern what is the writer trying to get you to think or believe and how does that line up with how scripture and the Holy Spirit wants you to think and believe. That's how, that's how, this is what it means to, to, to be spiritually mature, discerning, and, 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 and using wisdom. In this situation, we have no record from Luke that this caused a problem, although we do have some explanation later uh, about what happened with, uh, with Titus, but still, there's, there's nothing here that would say this caused a big problem. And it shows that there was discernment here and trust, at least for Paul. Now, I want to point out something about the way Luke writes this because there's a unique thing here. Luke's approach in writing this, he doesn't record or tell us about Timothy's reaction, response, or opinion. Did you notice that? It does, there's no verse that says, and so Paul wanted to take Timothy on the trip um, and so Paul took him to be circumcised. And Timothy, in awe and wonder, said, no, Paul, I don't want to do that. Or no, there's nothing like that, right? You don't even know what, what, what Timothy thinks. And, and, and you could read that and go, hey, did anyone ask Timothy if he wanted to be circumcised as a grown man? I mean, why does Luke leave that out? Because it's not important. And that's hard for us to hear. It's hard for us to hear and understand, especially for a society and culture that's so self-consumed. Paul wanted Timothy to be circumcised for gospel witness, understanding that this was part of what Timothy was giving himself to, the call of ministry to God. And so Timothy was circumcised. We have no reason to believe that he resisted. But Luke says nothing about his opinion. It's just a matter of obedience that he's going to do for the sake of the gospel. Another point to make about Luke's approach is that he doesn't explain or justify Paul's decision. There's no explanation or justification for the decision that Paul made. We don't have that here. Like when you're looking in, 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 this, in the text and you see that he made the decision to have him circumcised, Luke doesn't take a couple verses and says, and this is why Paul made that really difficult decision. And you wonder, well, why is that? Well, there's really no need for Luke to do so because he assumes it's understood. Of course you understand. It's for gospel witness, and that's what we're all about. Then we see that Timothy leaves with Paul and Silas in verse four. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So Timothy, a young man, again, was just circumcised, again, quite a painful procedure at that time, especially for a grown man. All so that he can go on a really glamorous missions trip. You know, and post a bunch of great pictures. There's nothing glamorous about this trip. 
Everything about it is going to be hard. I mean, imagine, imagine us, you know, during the missions conference, we say, hey, guys, we got a missions trip coming up. There's just one minor medical procedure you need to have before going. How many want to go? It's okay. You know, t- Timothy is following this call that he feels that God has placed on his life. And notice also to the mothers and the grandmothers that are in the room that both Eunice and Lois, Timothy's mom and grandmother, seem to bless this calling on Timothy's life. No overprotecting mom or grandparent here. They don't stand in the way. And they were in Lystra where Paul was stoned and left for dead. Here's young Timothy. Go. They know this could be his fate. They know this is what may, especially going with Paul, maybe Barnabas should pick him up, you know, a little bit later. Maybe he can circle back. But you're with Paul. I mean, you're going to be facing trouble. And he goes. We see the, we see the evidence of in, in Paul's letters to Timothy because he goes with blessing and prayer and the laying on of hands and commissioning. This is not a church split. It's not division in the church. What you have is a unified church sending out, looking for the church to be multiplied. And notice what their message was in verse four. Tell the Gentile churches the decision of the Jerusalem council. We see again the unity of the church in this. The churches receiving this message did not say, hey, you can't tell us what to do. You can't tell us what we can or can't do. I mean, think about what they're doing. They're going to these other churches and saying, hey, just want to let you know what the, what the rule was, what the ruling was from the Jerusalem council, and here's what you guys need to follow. And they're following it. They're telling them the ruling and the churches are gladly accepting it. They're understanding the biblical authority that the Lord had set up through the apostles and and the apostles in Jerusalem, the elders in Jerusalem, the elders and the apostles in Antioch. And then this unity was part of their gospel witness. That's, That's the other thing that's happening here. It wasn't that they just had unity. The unity was part of the witness to the world around them. We, we would completely misunderstand Paul and the whole book of Acts and many of the New Testament letters if we just looked at Paul as an individual who was on fire for God, doing great things for God on his own. That is not at all the picture. This was a, Paul was part of a unified church working in unison together with accountability that went through several different churches. And it worked. And I'm sure that it took some explanation. I'm sure that this decision with Timothy required Paul to sit down with some of the elders and leaders in these churches and go, okay, let me explain why Timothy was circumcised. But other Gentiles don't need to be necessarily. And then what did all of this result in? In verse five, Luke tells us that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number. They were strengthened in their faith 
and the churches continue to grow in number. So the body of Christ in Lystra, in Derby, and in Iconium were getting strengthened in their faith in Christ. The churches were growing. So what, what we see here is what looked like contradiction was unity. And the unity resulted in a strengthened church, a stronger church, and it resulted in a growing church. And we can see that sometimes the decision that is most likely to be criticized is the one that needs to be made. We see that here in this example with Paul. Not always. I'm not saying this is always the case. But here, clearly, Paul made a difficult decision. And he received some, he had to go through some explanation. This was definitely the case here for Paul and probably Timothy as well. It probably required Timothy to do some explaining. And it's possible that some of those explanations didn't go well, but it was still the right decision to make. And it's really interesting to note, you'd have to do more study on this, but it's interesting to note that Paul circumcised Timothy, but he would not circumcise Titus. And, and we did talk about that um, a little bit when we were going through uh, the book of Titus and also uh, learning a little bit more about him. But Titus was Greek and he was not Jewish. And the Jews, the believing Jews, wanted Titus to be circumcised to prove that he was saved so Paul wouldn't do it. And then here he is doing it. So you can see, he's not afraid of making decisions that people are going to not understand. Because both of these are confusing for people. They could be like, what are you doing? They make sense when understood, but on the surface could easily be misunderstood. Let me leave you with two closing thoughts. First one is this. Do not put up unnecessary obstacles to your gospel witness. This is what this is what Paul was doing here with Timothy. He was removing an obstacle. Think about your own life. What are you doing that may be an obstacle to those without Christ coming to faith in Christ? The way you live, the way you talk, the things you do, whatever it is, what is it that others may see as an obstacle to them seeing Christ in you? Let's not add additional obstacles. Second, do not compromise biblical truth in an effort to increase gospel witness. That's the other side of the coin. So if you're compromising biblical truth to be a gospel witness, then that's no longer gospel witness. It's just worldliness. So we need to live between these two tensions. The tension of becoming legalistic, right? We want, we want to try to make someone follow the rules of Christianity before they're even born again. You know, we, we create unnecessary obstacles and then there's the tension of compromise where we justify every sin in an attempt to somehow say, well, actually that's helping me be a better witness. We don't become better witnesses by becoming less holy. That happens through holiness. But right now the cultural pendulum has swung in the direction of compromising biblical truth and we should be aware of that. So we got to live between these two tensions. A unified church, a unified church is what we see here. And again, we keep saying that because that's what keeps coming up as we go through these texts. It's a shining gospel witness to the world. So as Paul and Silas and Timothy were now doing, 
They were out there strengthening the churches. Let's also, as a church, be strengthened in our faith and let's be strengthened in our witness. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your truth. Thank you that sometimes we can go through your word and it can be confusing. It it will require us to do some thinking, praying, seeking uh, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you that it, that it makes sense and that it's consistent. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you give each one of us for gospel witness in our lives. There are people, Lord, that each one of us have access to, that not every one of us in this room have access to, but you've given us, through those relationships, that access. Help us, Lord, to be, help us to not put up obstacles where it's unnecessary, and help us not to compromise biblical truth. Help us to be the gospel witnesses you've called us to be. Continue to strengthen your church, Lord, and be glorified in all that we're doing, because it's all for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.